This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. It's you and me. Welcome to What She Said on 105.9 The Region. I'm your host, Candace Sampson. The school year is coming to a close, so I just want to give a quick shout out of encouragement to all the moms out there struggling to find the motivation for two more weeks of school lunches. You're almost there, ladies, and before you know it, you'll be trying to figure out multiple snacks a day at home. Oh well, at least you can catch a break here every week as I'm joined by amazing women from across the country, and this week, of course, is no exception. We're halfway through our one-year masterclass on moving out of a rut, and Jennifer John from the Sacred Space Coaching is here to help us identify ways to empower ourselves so that we can effectively move on for good from self-sabotaging behavior. Jennifer shares some classic ways we self-sabotage, but also how to nix those old habits with a few simple shifts. Who had monkeypox on their 2022 bingo card? It's another health concern that seems to be growing, so I reached out to Dr. Dina Kulik, who is always a calm and measured voice. Dr. Dina shares the symptoms we should be on the lookout for, what to do if we suspect we have contracted monkeypox, and of course, how to protect ourselves. As always, Anne Brody is here with entertainment, and this week we take a look at the new Netflix documentary, Halftime, about Jennifer Lopez. The incredible Martin Freeman is in a new show called The Responder, available on BritBox now, and the emotional thriller Madeline Collins is available in select theaters, and it takes an eerie look at deception. Kegel or Kegel? It's possible I butchered that word in my interview with the vagina coach herself, Kim Vopney. No matter how you say it, all women know what it is, but do you know the importance of doing them? As we approach World Continence Week, Kim joins me to discuss the importance of Kegels and of keeping ourselves informed because we do not have to deal with incontinence just because we're getting older. Dr. Prachi Sarvastava, who has been joining me for the past six months to discuss the state of education in Ontario, joins me to share what we're likely looking at now that Doug Ford's Conservative government will be leading the way for the next four years. Finally, your search for the next great beach read is over. Author Nancy Morrow joins me to discuss her latest book, The Sugar Thief, about a secret pastry recipe that turns a family upside down. It's another full week at what she said with interviews that empower, educate, and entertain. So let's jump in right now on 105.9 The Region. We have officially hit the halfway mark on our year-long journey with the Sacred Space Coaching. Joining me today is Jennifer John, who is passionate about helping us make empowering shifts to get unstuck and shift our focus internally 
so we can heal, experience more of our true self, become unstoppable, and show up abundantly from a more powerful place. Welcome back to the show, Jennifer. Hi, Candice. Thank you so much for having me. So let's get right into it. I think we should do a little bit of a recap just so people know where we are. So maybe what we could do is just talk about some of the ways that we self-sabotage. Well, some of the ways that we self-sabotage, we don't even realize we're doing it, Candace. I mean, you know, talking ourselves out of the very things that we want because of a sense of we feel we're not good enough or we feel we don't deserve it. Um, you know, just that's just an example of some of the way that we we actually get in our own way, um, you know, thinking or staying, spending too much time in our own head space and not enough time, you know, trying to, you know, work out and walk out the sort of things that we need or the things that we are desiring to do so that we can move our lives forward. And, you know, when you said that about spending too much time in our own heads, all I could think was, because we've just had two years of that. <laughs> 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 but you know what that does to us, Candace? Well, one of the things it does to us is actually we start to compare ourselves constantly with other people, right? Um, because what's happened in those two years of us, you know, being, um, you know, spending that, that more of the time at home is that we're spending more time on social media. We're spending more time, you know, be, be in front of a screen. And so what's happening is that we're tending to seeing things or seeing other people's lives and feeling as if, they're li they're living the life and we're not. Oh, absolutely. They're achieving the goals that we want to achieve um, at a much faster rate. And so we tend to start to compare. And that's another way that we sabotage ourselves. And so spending that time in our headspace of ours um, is just cluttering that mental space with more stuff, more negative stuff than we need to have that we're trying to get rid of as opposed to accumulating, right? Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. I think we have to stop comparing, uh, you know, our reality to somebody else's highlight reel, uh, which is what you're getting. It's perfectly curated. You're only seeing what they want you to see. Um, so we have to stop doing that. So let's move on then, because I think the bigger things I think that people really need right now, women in particular really need, is to know what can they do to start shifting themselves out of that rut to stop the self-sabotage? One of the things, and I think it's the most important, it's key, it's the very first thing that we need to do is commit to change ourselves. Commit, commit for to make that change. Because, you know, it's one thing to desire it. And once, you know, and it can be in your head that, you know, I want to do this thing, but have you really committed heart and mind to the change that you actually want to experience in your life. Um, because once we do that, once we take that step and we do that, then it sort of anchors us as we begin the journey to making the change that we actually want to see. So I just want to interject for one second because I think what we do, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think maybe we sometimes go, I'm going to change that person or that thing as opposed to saying, I'm going to change myself. Doing that in saying that I'm going to change this person, I'm going to change this thing actually enables us to keep a little bit more of control, right, of a situation or a circumstance. And so being willing to say, I want, I'm going to commit to changing myself is relinquishing that control of the old, of what we know, the, our, stepping out of our comfort zone and actually applying 
or making steps to apply the change that we want to have because we really can't control somebody else. We really can't make other people change. Um, you know, we can sort of have influence on changing a certain situation, but truly for that to have the impact that we really want it to have and for us to experience what we really want to experience, we have to begin with ourselves. All right. I agree. Okay. So what's the next thing we could do then? Uh, one of the other things we could do is reduce our mental clutter. Like I said, we spend so much time in our headspace and we need to get out of the headspace. We need to actually, you know, engage with our reality. And so start to, you know, stop this, the negative self-talk, the negative self-thinking, because it feeds into one another, right? You start thinking a thought, then we start speaking what we're thinking, and as we're speaking, it starts to become our reality because we're constantly saying these negative things to ourselves, talking ourselves out of what it is that we want. We don't deserve it. We're not good enough. You know, it ties into our sense of worthiness. And so as we continue to do these things, we're actually getting in our own way, building roadblocks between the very thing we want, want to have and want to achieve and ourselves and making it that much more difficult than it really has to be for us to have it. And what about confronting the things that scare us? Is that something we should do head on? Is, you know, um... that, that's a work in progress because really like, so, you know, there are things we know consciously we're afraid of. And there are things that we don't even realize we're afraid of because it's at the root of something else, right? That fear of failure. So we tend to procrastinate. We're thinking that procrastination is actually a problem, but really what it is, is a fear of failure. And so, as we dig deeper, delve deeper into the reasonings behind the, the things that we do to sabotage ourselves, then we sort of uncover, right? And unpack what's the real source? Where is that coming from? It's a fear. And what type of fear is it? And so depending on what the fear is, you can take steps and small steps to change it, to confront it. One, identify it. That's the big thing. We need to identify what that fear is. And then in so doing, we sort of strip away the power that that fear has over us because now we start to know what it is. And now that awareness starts to come in, it comes in in greater levels. And then we start to deal with it, take steps to move towards it, to move past it. Now you have a long, a long list of, of ways that you can empower yourself. This will all be over on the blog on what she said, talk.com. I want to forward a little bit in your list because there is one item you mentioned here that I think is vital. I say it to my girls all the time. And that is, who is your inner circle? Because I believe your network is your net worth. And if you are, if the people you spend the most time with are dragging you down, you need a new circle. You need a new circle. And you know, it's, it's, it's so um, wonderful that you said that because it's been said that you are a reflection of the five people closest to you, right? I've heard that and I'm sure you've heard that before. And so if you look at your inner circle and you look at, the ones, are these people, the ones who are championing you on? Are these the ones who are supporting you? Are these the ones who are, you know, um, causing, motivating or inspiring you to achieve your purpose, find your purpose, um, achieve the goals and, and desires that you desire, that you have for yourself? Or are these people who tend to speak the negativity into your life? Speak the neg Every time you want to achieve something, they're sort of talking you out of it or giving you reasons why it can't be done or reasons why you can't do it. And so if that's the case, then you sort of need to shift away. Sometimes we can't completely 100% shift away from these people or cut them out, out of our lives because they could be family members. 
They could be, you know, sibling. They could be people so close to us, you know, people that you work with that you can't really distance yourself that much, but you can start to shift who you allow now into that inner circle, who you spend more of your time with, right? And so as you do that, it starts to change. You start to connect with people who are of like mind, like spirit, like heart, like gold, right? And move you towards the things that you want to achieve. It's so vitally important. And I get, I, I say that to everyone, my sibling, like everyone that, you know, I come into contact with, who are you spending most of your time with? Because these are the ones who are speaking into your life, speaking to your purpose, speaking to the goals and things that you want to achieve for yourself. And you need to examine that. And sometimes we don't, we take for granted that they're there and we, 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 um, you know, sort of put up with it, you know, uh, in a way and not really analyze or examine it to the point where we say, okay, we're going to make some changes. We're going to make some shifts. Yeah. And I think that's, again, this is something that I've done for years now is examining, how do I feel when I'm with that person? What does my mood do after a certain amount of time? Um, you know, there's the expression, misery loves company. And, yep. you know, it, it's true. If you, it, negative people can draw together or one negative mood can pull yours into a negative space. Uh, so that all matters. Um, we don't have a lot of time left because it's crazy how fast this goes with you every time. Uh, but um, you have one thing on your list about reaching out for support. And I think this is important because accountability is key, right? Accountability is key. And so what does that support look like? It can be a mentor. It can be you know, a trusted friend, someone that you can connect to that is going to support you and help you and keep you accountable. And if you need, you know, Beyond that, of course, we're available, Denise and myself, um, our coaching services, we're available. Just reach out to us and um, we're more than glad to help you walk through this journey. But again, it has to be somebody that you trust, somebody that you can, you know, walk with you and support you as you go through this journey. We all need it. It's it's so vital to the things that we need to want to achieve, the goals that we want to hit, the marks that we want to make. And so having that person, having that 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 team of people who are going to say, yes, I'm going to partner with you. I'm going to hold you accountable. I'm going to walk with you as you journey through this because I see and value the importance of the change that you want to make um, is so vitally um, important for the journey that you want to take. All right. Well, speaking of accountability, you guys have a 21-day challenge that you can jump into anytime, um, any day. Anytime. We, we actually just started to reboot that. So, um, yes, we're, I think, six days in to the challenge. And so for anyone who wants to join, please do so. Just hop over to um, our Facebook page, The Sacred Space 21-Day Challenge, um, and you can join us as we move along to Stop the Self-Sabotage get unstuck and become unstoppable. I love it. Okay. Jennifer, thank you. You always lift my mood every time you're here. So thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Candice. It's always a blast spending time with you. I love it. It could not happen More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 1059 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 1059 The Region. Sometimes it lasts in love, but sometimes it hurts and stays. 
just as we're all feeling a little fatigued from dealing with COVID, a new concern has popped up with monkeypox. With over 550 cases reported worldwide as of May 31st, we're certainly not looking at the quick spread that COVID had, but it's understandable that between a nonstop media cycle of bad news and a public already on edge that people are concerned. That's why I reached out to my next guest. Dr. Dina Kulik is a pediatrician, pediatric emergency medicine doctor, and the founder and director of Kid Crew, a multidisciplinary kids' health clinic. Additionally, Dr. Dina is always a voice of reason. Welcome back to what she said, Dr. Dina. Thanks for having me. So let's talk about monkeypox. Initially, how concerned should we be? I don't think people need to be panicking. It is something new that you know most people have not heard of before, but. So far, there's a few hundred cases, and that's something we're watching and you know checking out around the world. But I don't think there's a need for any panic. If we've had a smallpox vaccine, do we have some protection? There is a bit of protection from the smallpox vaccine. However, the vast majority of people that are at high risk of getting very sick with severe monkeypox are younger people, people that would not have had the smallpox vaccine. Smallpox was eradicated in 1980, so anyone that was born after 1980 would not have received a vaccine and it's no longer available. So anyone that has young children now, for example, most of those people would not have been vaccinated. And it is the youngest children and those that are immunocompromised that are at highest risk of getting severe monkeypox. Not a lot of people get very sick with it, but if you do, it's probably a young person or an immunocompromised person. It's interesting. I had no idea that the smallpox vaccine was no longer available. I would have assumed that it'd still be out there if you wanted to get it. Um, so how careful should we be then in public spaces? Uh, is it uh, same sense of protocol we would have for COVID right now? Or is that a little bit too extreme? So mostly monkeypox is passed on by direct physical contact with someone that has monkeypox. So if someone has the rash, which looks like little vesicles or pimples, most typically on the hands and the feet and on the face. If they have that rash, if anyone you know has that rash, it's best to stay away, whether it's from monkeypox or other viruses that do that. We do not know if monkeypox is aerosolized. So we don't know if someone with monkeypox can pass it on to others by being in the same space. We do know it's most contagious by direct contact. So Keeping distance from people that are sick is a wise choice now and always. Okay. Uh, let's run through the symptoms then just for people so they know uh, if you can just rhyme them off sort of what we should be looking for to be uh, aware. Sure. So most people have fever followed by rash. Again, most typically on the hands and the feet. Um, you can have it head to toe, of course. You can have a few pox. You can have thousands of pox. Malaise, headache, big lymph nodes in the neck and the groin, the armpits. It feels like a bad flu, achiness, fatigue, and of course, you have the monkeypox. And if we do think we have it, then what are our next steps? Do we automatically isolate? And then, you know, would we go to eMERGE? Would we go to our family doctor? What would be the next steps there? I do think it's wise to isolate because if you just go to your family doctor, for example, you might be exposing people again that are at much higher risk. So I would touch base with your healthcare provider and see what they suggest. There's lots of viruses going around right now that look like monkeypox. So I don't want people to be fearful that, for example, their child has hand, foot and mouth disease, which is going around a lot right now across Ontario and really across Canada and into the US. I don't want you to be 
worried that it's monkeypox. It probably is not. It's much more likely to be another more typical virus. So I think it's best to touch base with your healthcare provider and they can provide you with the next steps. All right. Well, we've got you here now. So now I feel like I need to ask you about hand, foot and mouth disease, which you said is much more prevalent right now. Uh, So what should parents be on the lookout for that? And is there a vaccine for that? There's no vaccine for hand, foot and mouth disease. And it's a common virus we see in children, young kids, but adults can get it as well. And unfortunately, it presents very similarly to monkeypox, fever, mouth lesions, like lesions on the tongue, cold sores, hands, feet, groin, pimples, they could be head to toe. Someone can have a few of them or many of them. And also malaise, fatigue, less appetite, mostly because the pimples in the mouth hurt like cold sores do. So a lot of kids will be fussy with solids and even sometimes with liquids. Okay. And, you know, right now we're dealing with a lot of uh, information coming at us. So what would you say to parents right now who are probably on edge with all of these viruses out there? What's your best tip for them for keeping their kids healthy right now? I think if you're concerned about your child's health or well-being, please touch base with your doctor. We're all very accessible now virtually as well. So it's even easier than it even used to be. I think stay away from people that are sick. If you're sick, please stay home. Don't go to work. Don't send your kids to daycare and school. We're in a different kind of world now where we have to be really much more mindful of the community and other kids and adults that might be at higher risk than your own. Make sure your child's drinking. You could provide pain and fever medication as always. And again, always touch base with your healthcare provider if you do have any concerns. All right. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining me today. This is very helpful. I want people to be able to follow you because you're always posting great information on your social channels and your website. I have no idea how you do it all, but please let people know where they can connect with you. Sure. So I am all over social media, everywhere at Dr. Dina Kulik, D-R-D-I-N-A-K-U-L-I-K and at drdina.ca and kidcrew.com. Okay. Thank you so much for joining me today, Dr. Dina. Thank you. Joining me now for Saturday Night at the Movies is Anne Brody. And Anne, what do you got for us this week? I've got yet another superstar vanity project documentary, Halftime with Jennifer Lopez. It's ironic. Well, it's not ironic. It's symbolic and purposely so. She did the halftime show at Super Bowl. She's 50. And this series, this doc is called Halftime, and it's to celebrate her next half century. I mean, Vanity, vanity. Um, I mean, that's fine, but you get a bit tired of it. You get a bit tired of these self-promoting uh, stars who pass off what they're doing as, as, as important and really earth-shattering. But there it is. Well, it feels, like there, it feels like there's a lot of these documentaries recently um, that I've noticed. And, and I don't know if it's just because, like, you know, you mentioned before the broadcast that uh, you know, maybe it's because we've been locked up for two years and everybody's looking for some marketing. 
But it does feel like there's a lot of these um, documentaries recently, and particularly on Netflix. So I wonder, I mean, I can't help but wonder how this all works, right? Like, who pays for this? Is it self-funded? Does I mean, they're all, their names are all over executive producers, so it lies at their feet. But, you know, we watch. I mean, that's the thing of it. Yeah, and I don't think anybody would say that J-Lo's not a... Uh, a great person. She's obviously come very far. She's a very successful. I don't think anybody's denying her that, but I just, uh, I'm just talking about in general, the genre seems to oh, be exploding a little bit, these self-funded documentaries. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So, so that's on this week on Netflix halftime. Uh, so if you love JLo, we don't want to miss that. Uh, but you also have the responder with Martin Freeman. And I got to tell you, I love that I'm guy. so glad. I love him actor. too. He's one of my favorite actors. Of course, we, we knew him um, initially, I think, uh, most broadly from Sherlock with Benedict Cumberbatch. But he has proven since then that he can do anything that's set before him. He plays a police officer, a first responder in Liverpool. He has the accent. It's perfect. Um, and he's... He's dealing with, as a lot of officers do, PTSD because it's horrific. Every night there's something awful that happens and he knows he's kind of losing it. He says the job has ruined him. He's a shell. Uh, it's, it's hurting his family life. And he doesn't believe in therapy, really. He goes, but it's a very empty experience for him. Um, and, of course, he crosses the line. He's, he's so angry. He will beat up and threaten to kill witnesses as well as perpetrators. But there's something about Freeman. He just sucks you in. Whatever he's doing, you know it's going to be done the best way possible. And you're just like, tell me more. Tell me more. He's an amazing storyteller actor. So that you've got to watch. And this is also, this is also a true story, right? Like it's based on a true, true events. It makes it more compelling to know that it actually is based on true, true events. Uh, okay, what else do you have this weekend? Oh, and that's on BritBox. I've got Madeline Collins. Honestly, I've got a lot of thrill, emotional thrillers this week, and this is one. Now, it's about a woman who has a family in uh, Switzerland, or is it Sweden? I forget. Um, but she's constantly leaving on business trips. So we follow her. It's, it's kind of mysterious. But so we follow her eventually to Paris, where she has a whole other family. And she suffers from low blood pressure and she faints a lot. Um, and apparently this is tied to the death of her sister, uh, who was hit by a truck when she fainted on the street. Um, but there's a whole thing, like, is she behaving this way? Is she ruining lives through narcissism or... Uh, genetics or trauma what makes it the way it is and we're just given the tiniest little clues along the way and i gotta tell you it's absolutely riveting absolutely riveting madeline collins and it's on at tiff bell Lightbox. and then we have um tahara another kind of emotional thriller believe it or not set at a funeral in a synagogue where high schoolers are paying tribute to uh one of their um classmates who died of suicide so one of the girls really is a bit of a sociopath she has no empathy um she, she's mostly concerned about the boy she has a crush on 
she and, and her girlfriend go into the washroom to, uh, you know, put on lipstick and stuff. And uh, she says, uh, I don't know if I'm a good kisser. Would you kiss me? He says, no, no. And then she does. And then the girl who kisses her realizes that she likes it. And so the girl, the other girl, the initiator, um, understands that she now has a way to manipulate this girl. And it's kind of horrifying. What great performances. Um, in fact, Rachel Sennett, who, who plays the instigator, she starred in Shiva Baby. Amazing young actor. Uh, so this is a very strange story of manipulation. And when she finds out that the guy she's has a mad crush on likes her friend, things really get intense. So this is not for the faint of heart. It is an emotional thriller. Okay. And, All right. And, and you've got one uh, well, quickly. We have like 30 seconds left here. So oh, okay. you want to mention right. uh, the Jewish Film Festival, correct? Yes. Very important. This is the 30th anniversary in Toronto. And on my, uh, my column, you'll find a, a guide to it. And uh, please attend. They have the greatest films, some of which are making their North American premieres here. So be sure and check out TJFF. Uh, All right. Thank you, Anne. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, you have more uh, reviews on what she said talk.com and, uh, and more information about the Jewish Film Festival. So thank you so much for joining me today, Anne. We'll see you next week. We'll see you next week. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. We are billions of beautiful hearts And you sold us down the my next guest is a pelvic floor specialist, popularly known as the Vagina Coach. What better place then than what she said to join me? Kim Vopney became passionate about spreading information on pelvic health after the birth of her first child. She is a self-professed Kegel maven, a certified fitness trainer specializing in pre- and postnatal perimenopause and menopause. She is also the creator of Kegels and Cocktails, health events designed to empower and educate women on the importance of pelvic health. Kim strives to normalize discussions about vaginas, Kegels, and menopause, especially when her teenage sons are in earshot. You're my kind of lady, Kim. I always try to embarrass my teens. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> All right, let's talk about... Um, stress urinary incontinence because I think most women can relate to this but I think my question is um do all women just does this naturally happen to all women or most women after giving birth I would say it's more likely to happen in people who haven't been given proper education or been told of the importance about the pelvic floor so especially in women who have been pregnant and have given birth there is an increased risk of experiencing stress urinary incontinence. It's very common. We have media telling us it's normal. We have healthcare providers saying it's just what happens when you have had babies or when you're reaching menopause. So it's very common. 
uh, but I would not say that it is something that it should be considered natural part, a natural part of aging. I mean, I have a lot of friends who would, uh, you know, balk at getting on a trampoline or, you know, laughing too hard with each other uh, in case there's an accident. Um, so are there things we can do to prevent this from happening, these embarrassing situations that might happen after giving uh, childbirth? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the important point that I just want to add on there is this can happen to people who have never been pregnant. It can happen to young elite athletes. It can happen to people who, again, who have never been pregnant. So I, I just want to stress that point there. And what is happening is there's a group of muscles that regulate our openings. So if we think of the female anatomy, we have the urethra, we have the vagina, we have the anus. Those are our three openings and muscles surround all those openings in different layers and they help control and regulate when things come out and potentially when things go in. And we, we, we need them to be at their optimal function for all those jobs and other jobs that they have to do uh, to be able to, to happen. And when the timing is off, so if the reaction time of the muscles is not quite on par or if the force that they're generating is not quite enough, then little bits of urine can leak out. So oftentimes pelvic floor muscle training that involves working on the timing and on building some strength and endurance but also focusing on a relaxation component, we need kind of a balance or a, a yin and yang there. So that's how you would go about overcoming it. And yes, it is absolutely something that people can overcome. It is not something they need to accept as normal and not, you know, <clears throat> pads are not something that they need to think is part of their destiny. Yeah. And I mean, muscles deteriorate. It makes sense because muscles deteriorate uh, over all of your whole body as you age. So it makes sense that that's a muscle that would, you know, uh, unless you're working on strengthening it, uh, would perhaps lose some of its, uh, I guess, benefits <laughs> from preventing accidents. So, so are exercises then something that should be a daily sort of occurrence for, for, for women? My recommendation is so if you were to look at research with regards to Kegel exercises, most people have heard of Kegels and that's kind of what's elusive to many of us and considered the only cure, right? They're the only fix. So we have sought after these exercises, but because nobody's really taught us how to do them properly or evaluate our pelvic floor, most people are doing them incorrectly. So we, we benefit, we, ha we have research to show that three sets of 10, 10 second holds done three times a day is effective for incontinence. However, that's not very realistic for most people to get in three sets of 10, 10 cycles, three times in a day. And so my approach is to introduce people, teach them how to do a Kegel exercise. And that's with different visualizations and cues so they can access that group of muscles and coordinate it with the breath. So it works in coordination and synergy with the diaphragm and then bring it into movement, movement that we are doing in our daily life, movement that we are doing in our workouts already. So we can harness the pelvic floor as part of activities that we're already doing to make it more functional and also dynamic because when people, most people do Kegels, if they are doing them, they do them sitting at a red light, they do them while they brush their teeth, they do it while they're watching TV. And most of the leaks, when we're talking about stress urinary incontinence, those happen when we are picking something up, pushing a heavy door open, standing up from a chair. So we need to train the pelvic floor as part of that, that movement. And one more piece that I'll add on there is as we're aging, you talked about the kind of decline and we lose, um, we lose muscle mass as we get older. We lose collagen, but also, especially in women, we lose estrogen. So as we're nearing menopause, we are no longer producing estrogen and the, the muscles and the, we have a lot of, I guess, estrogen 
best to describe estrogen receptor sites within the pelvis. And when we no longer have circulating estrogen, that also contributes to the development of stress urinary incontinence. Okay. Tell me about Kegels and cocktails. Tell me about that event. This was the very first thing that I created in my business when I started in 2009. I needed a way to be able to get the word out with regards to what I was doing, what I was talking about. And I didn't want it to be medical. I didn't want it to be icky or scary or uncomfortable. So I was trying to normalize this conversation, not normalize leaking, but normalize the fact that this is a part of the body we can talk about. Kegels are something that most people have heard that term. And of course, cocktails make it sound a little bit, sound a little bit more fun. So, um, so it was, it started back in 2009 and they continue to be events that I hold the same time every year because it's World Continents Week. And so, again, we're trying to highlight and bring awareness to the fact that there are many people, millions and millions of people around the world dealing with incontinence, needlessly suffering, and there are many options that can help you. So I bring together other women's health professionals and, and, and we have some fun. We learn how to do Kegels. We learn all the other aspects because there's way more to pelvic health than just go home and do your Kegel exercises. And so we talk about all those facets and empower women with education so they can take control of their own pelvic health. I love that. And I love that you're just shaking sort of the shame that isn't automatically attached to that um, subject mm-hmm. because people just mm-hmm. tend to shrink away and or deny that that happens to them uh and and Mm -hmm. i can understand why but especially when we're with our peers we should be able to have open honest discussions about it uh if people want to connect with you if they want to learn more perhaps join one of your events um how can they do that all the information about everything that I do and everything that people can learn uh, more about is at vaginacoach.com. So that would be the best place. If you are on social media, my handle is vaginacoach everywhere you want to be. <laughs> All right. Amazing. Um, love the name. Like I said, love the name. Uh, <laughs> so thank you so much for joining me today. And uh, you're the We'll be in the liner notes on the podcast if people want to connect with you. And uh, we'll have you back again. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you. What about us? 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 Baby, I got your number. Oh, I know that you got mine. Since the beginning of the year, Dr. Prachi Srivastava has been joining me to discuss the state of education in Ontario and what we should be looking at before we head to the polls. That time has come and gone, and the government has been decided as of last week, and so now we're just going to do a little bit of a recap on what maybe we can expect to see over the next four years with a majority conservative government in Ontario. Welcome back to the show, Dr. Srivastava. Hi, Candice. Thanks for having me back on. So uh, I think it's no secret that this is the outcome you and I were really not looking for. (laughs) So we can be quite vocal about that. Uh, But we have what we have. We have a majority conservative government. So when it comes to education, what do you think we're going to be looking at over the next four years? Uh, I think, you know, what we can certainly expect is if the policies continue the way that they were, 
there was a rather uh, strong report that came out by the Financial Accountability Office to show that this government is proposing um, up to $12.3 billion of cuts to education in the next uh, seven years. So by 2029-30, that's what we're uh, on the road for, uh, $12.3 cut to education. Um, we know that there's already been a $1.3 to $1.4 billion cut, which is a rather sizable amount given that we've you know been in a pandemic and coming out of a pandemic, and that's against all of the recommendations uh, globally and, you know, um, internationally about what we should be doing. Um, so that part of it is actually quite disheartening. Uh, I think in terms of the recovery plan, we don't really see the three points that we would like to see, which is uh, overhaul of the curriculum from JK to grade 12, uh, targeting uh, you know, core skills and psychosocial skills for all schools, all grades. And then, of course, having extra resources for schools that suffered uh, more in the pandemic, which tend to be in which which are in, in marginalized areas. So we haven't seen that. Um, and I think those are the major issues that, you know, in terms of recovery, we should be concerned about. But then going forward, there are other issues in terms of really reassessing uh, what the opportunities are going to be for the young people coming out of the system? Are there going to be employment opportunities? Are there going to be areas where young people can uh, contribute and feel that they are actually getting what they need to succeed, uh, both you know um, socially, but also personally, personal development? These are all big questions. And there really wasn't a plan. I think the worst part of the campaign, if you were looking at it from an educational perspective, was that the other three parties had platforms that actually spoke about uh, education issues and what they would like to see in terms of reducing class sizes and hiring new staff members, hiring new teachers, putting in more social supports. Uh, but when I wanted to do a comparative analysis, because I'm not really biased in terms of, you know, giving every party a fair chance looking at their plans, and I couldn't do one uh, with the uh, with the conservative party because they didn't have uh, a plan that was out there for education, which was shocking, given that they were the government in power. So the only thing we can go by is what they've done over the last few years. And that's been pretty uh, obvious uh, in terms of uh, rolling back on resources. And I mean, I think what we really need to be looking at now is how is this going to affect all the kids who fell through the cracks over the last couple of years, right? That's the really big issue on the table here. Is there something we can be doing? Uh, you know, we're, we're, st we're stuck with this government now. So is there something that parents can be looking at to help these kids? You know, so that's that's the thing. I mean, when you have a massive cut of resources, it means that there will be fewer resources. It's it's pretty, you know, it's pretty straightforward. When you cut budgets to that extent, that means that there are going to be fewer resources. And it means that uh, students that are having, uh, you know, issues that have, uh, uh, you know, special needs that are coming from instances where the pandemic has actually uh, affected their families more than others all of these students require extra support, but all students require more support anyway, because there's been, you know, like we said, in Ontario, the education issue is is actually quite dire because it's 
very different to the rest of the country. We've had the longest school closures in Canada, the longest in North America and Europe, if you look at the averages. This is a real issue. So what can people do? Um, two things. I think the first is really be vocal in terms of the issues that affect the communities um, and think about and, and be vocal about that. I think now is the time for more, um, not just parent uh, advocacy groups, but also businesses, also, um, you know, healthcare workers, all of these sectors need to speak out and really talk about the issues that are affecting young people, because all of all of us, we're all intertwined, you know, uh, businesses are intertwined with 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 education, healthcare is intertwined with education, and of course, parents are are you know one of the primary caregivers and and are very concerned as are education workers and teachers. So now is the time for that. The other part of it is to really think about uh, not just speaking out, but really trying to think about how to organize in a way to make sure that schools that are in communities that are very heterogeneous. You know, one may be in a in a neighborhood that has different kinds of schools. There might be schools that serve uh, more disadvantaged populations and ones that serve better off populations in the same neighborhood to see if there are ways to partner, to see if there are ways to really do community led initiatives. But all of that, I have to add, must be, you know, that really should be in addition to what government is already providing. It shouldn't be the substitute. And I think the sad part is that given what we know from the past, I mean, look, it could very well be that there is a, a, a great turnaround and all of these things that we're hoping for happen. But given what we know from the past four years in education, it looks like that it's going to have to be communities and citizens that really start putting the pressure on in terms of seeing real changes in, the, in our education system. Okay. Dr. Prachi Sarvastava, uh, it's been a pleasure having you here month after month since January. Uh, we're going to get together again soon uh, and continue our education conversation. Uh, but in the meantime, that's really good advice for people to just get involved, get active, ask your schools what you need, what they need, and not just your kids' school. Ask uh, in your community other schools because uh, this is all, as you said, we're all intertwined. Education is a huge issue. Uh, and needs to be addressed. So looking forward to having you back on the show in the future. Thank you, Candice. And there ain't no more to say More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. Summer is here, and we are all looking for the next great beach read. Thankfully, I think I've found it for you. Nancy Morrow is the author of two novels, the critically acclaimed debut New World Monkeys, and most recently, The Sugar Thief, about a secret pastry recipe that turns a family upside down. Nancy grew up in Thunder Bay, Ontario, where her Italian-Canadian family owned the bakery that invented the wildly popular and equally enigmatic Persian pastry. Welcome to the show, Nancy. Hi, thanks for having me. 
I'm a little bit torn on this because I'm a foodie and I love reading. Mm-hmm. I really want to taste this pastry. <laughs> so can, can we still go get it? You can still go to Thunder Bay, Ontario and get it. That is the uh, only place that you can actually get the original uh, Persian, though I'm told there are knockoffs here and there. But the original only in Thunder Bay. Yes. All right. So tell me about the sugar thief then, because uh, you were you were saying, you know, that it's got you thinking about how non-linear life is. Can you expand on that a little bit for me? Yeah. Well, um, I've been working on this novel for over 10 years and uh, it started off as uh, really an auto or from an autobiographical place because uh, years ago, uh, my family did own part of a bakery in Thunder Bay, the bakery that actually makes the Persian pastry. And so when I started thinking about it, it really was kind of like a meditation on what it meant to be um, an immigrant. And that's, you know, for my parents and what it meant to be uh, first generation Canadian and the expectations of, you know, what what um, my cousins, my, my siblings, myself, what we all sort of faced. Um, and, uh, you know, and the Persian sort of became this caring metaphor. So it, uh, as I, I mentioned to you before, I worked on uh, a lot of versions and it just wasn't adding up. Um, the autobiography was getting in the way. And, you know, as I said, 10 years ago, so many things have happened <laughs> since I started this book. Uh, you know, I met and married my husband. I've had two kids, um, changed uh, careers in in kind of in the middle, um, and and then I came back to this book. So it really did get me thinking about how you know how we have this plan for our, our careers, and it just doesn't always go the way you think it's going to go. And and you have thoughts as well on living a you know a choosing a creative path uh, that it's a real it can be a struggle, and I relate to this actually. So. Um, would you would you keep your day job if you could do it all over again? Oh yeah, keep the day job. I, <laughs> isn't that terrible? Well, you know what I what I um I, I like to to call it not a day job but a foundational job. So um, I started out in advertising as a writer, and it really it honestly is still I still say this is the best thing I ever did because it it is this. Um, you know, this craft that I learned years ago, um, that I was able, it was, you know, how I sustained myself for many years living in a big city and then I was able to leave it and, and chase, you know, chase something that I really wanted to do. Um, and now I've come back to it. Um, and it's, you know, it's this, uh, like wonderful community that, you know, I'm kind of happy that, that. Um, you know, they've taken me back in. So um, it's nice to be able to uh, still take care of yourself and take care of your family. Um, and if you can find some way to do that and still hold on to your creative, uh, you know, passion. Wow. <laughs> that is, I think, the key to life. The, the boring balance. <laughs> the sugar thief then, are there, are there lessons in there from your life that, pe- that you hope the reader draws out? Um, I you know, uh, like I said, this started off as autobiography, and it was about this, these families that um, kind of put everything they had into um, a business, and individuals that you know ha- chose chose a, a certain road. Um, and 
So for me, when I, I kind of let go of the autobiography and I really took on um, this main central character who had, has kind of a you know, satirical voice and it really gave me freedom. So there's a lot about, um, you know, about reality television in this book. Um, you know, uh, there's a lot about social media and there's like, you know, it's become a social, uh, for me, social commentary, because these are things that I, you know, I resist. I, we were talking about TikTok a bit earlier and I just, I just resist these things. Um, and I know that even in what I do my day job, I, I've got to become fluent and be fluent. Um, and it's still, you know, it's still hard for me to get my head around. Well, there is a be the beauty of sinking your teeth into a really good book, uh, something that we're not doing enough of, I think. Um, and so I hope people will pick this up for their vacation read this summer uh, or the, even just a weekend read. Uh, where can they connect with you? Uh, you know, are you on social media? And, uh -huh. uh, and where can they pick up your book? Yeah, I think I have to re-enter the social media world. <laughs> as uh, the book will launch in July and um, you can you can get it at your local, your favorite local independent bookstore. Um, of course, you can always order it um, at Amazon or um, uh, any place that you like to order online from. All right. Excellent. Okay. We're going to put all of your contact information in the liner notes for the podcast. But uh, Nancy, thanks so much for joining me today. I am personally looking forward to reading The Sugar Thief. Thank you. That's it for What She Said for this week. Stay up to date with our newsletter by signing up at whatshesaidtalk.com. And be sure to follow on social at What She Said Talk on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for videos of these interviews and more. Finally, be sure to subscribe to What She Said with Candace Sampson on Apple and Spotify to re-listen to this episode and find full details for all of today's guests. I'll be back next week with more What She Said on 105.9 The Region. Previous episodes of What She Said on 1059theregion.com. Connie Teeson, the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app. It's said that the more time you have to invest, the greater the return. Well, guess what? Kids have the most time if we learn to invest early. That's why I created the Cash Kid Podcast, where I teach kids and some adults financial skills they need to know on how to earn, save, and invest their money. Join me on this journey as we interview experts and explore topics that allow you to grow your money as kids. Just remember, anyone can be a cash kid. You just have to learn how to become one. Get ready to grow your financial knowledge and your wallet with the Cash Kid Podcast. That's right. Find us at thecashkidpodcast.com or listen in on places like Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, or YouTube. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.